94.7 Kumu Kokua because Kumu cares. 7.28 on your rise and drive right here on 94.7 Kumu. It is time for Kumu Kokua. This is where we bring in Hawaii's leaders and experts to talk about the issues you care about and to answer your questions. This morning for his Aloha Friday update, his weekly update, we have again Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning. Glad to be here. Oh. Thank you. Yes, thank you for making the time because, man, you have to be so busy. We are apparently on the cusp of having a vaccine, the first mm-hmm. vaccine. Can you update us on what's happening with the vaccine distribution and the priority list and, you know, what kinds of preparations Oahu and the state as a whole uh, are making for this? I can if you have five hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I can give you a glimpse of it. Now, mm-hmm. these are meetings that I'm doing 30 hours of meetings on the vaccine alone right now a week Ooh. so uh, yeah and that there's not a lot more hours in the week and there's a lot of other challenges but the um the basics are we will begin to get vaccine next week assuming that the feds do approve the pfizer vaccine and we all expect that uh so within 24 to 48 hours they'll start shipping lots of vaccine then following that moderna will be likely approved uh in the weekend of the 17th which is next weekend actually and that will begin also We'll begin getting those vaccines per shipping time. You know, take a little time. They're on dry ice. It will not be perfect. I want to warn people, there are going to be some times where a, you know, a case isn't perfect and we have to send it back. There will be challenges that are unforeseen, but we will start vaccinating our 1A group, which is the healthcare community and all of the people around the healthcare community that support it. Like, for example, surgeons and infectious disease doctors and nurses and so on and so forth but also the people that tend to the ER, who deliver food to the ER, or help um, prepare the uh, the OR, the operating room, or support the hospital. All of the healthcare system, that's 1A. And also in the 1A category is our kupuna who live in nursing homes, long-term care facilities, et cetera, mm-hmm. who are at very high risk. Um, so it's just, uh, it's a real, uh, real big lift, but we'll start vaccinating people as soon as we can. And there are also the 1B and 1C groups, all of which will be done uh, in parallel, not not in sequence. In other words, you don't have to finish the whole healthcare community and the kupuna at nursing homes before you also start doing critical infrastructure workers, people that are, uh, you know, just having a big, you know, a big challenge with a lot of exposure to the um, to the world, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll be doing them also. And then 1C is our kupuna just in general, people over 65 who are healthy, living at home, not at any enhanced risk other than based on age. So it, uh, it's going to be a big lift. And then, of course, I'm excited to get beyond that. But honestly, just because the, the Fed dumped 1B into our laps, okay, and I'm not complaining, it's just they, they put essential workers, which has to be pared down, to the essential workers, in my opinion, and I'm on these committees making some of these decisions, essential workers that have high exposure risk, because otherwise it's like four or 500,000 people just in that category, and you might as well not have any categorization at all. Mm-hmm. So we are working very hard on that, but first things first, this first 30 days is going to be you know, a big lift to make sure that the healthcare infrastructure is completely without COVID and, and safe so that there can be no spread at our hot spots. Remember, 20% of all cases globally have been among nurses and docs and, and volunteers in healthcare and people who serve food in hospitals and so on because they're so high at risk. There's just so much COVID around them. Then also, you want to really stop the fatality so you get nursing homes. And 
I'm expecting a really good result. Uh, I, I think that some people will not get the vaccine, even though they are, say, a nurse practitioner in a high risk area, just because they just didn't get didn't get there. They couldn't get there for the first time or a firefighter that was on a shift that just didn't allow them. But we'll get them the next week. And so we're going to continue to roll this out over the course of a month for the phase 1A. There's also some benefit to staggering it just a little bit because we do expect people to have side effects for two or three days. And, you know, if you have a little bit of fever or ache, it's going to be from your vaccine. But we want to make sure it's not a very unlikely moment where you also you caught COVID the day before you got your vaccine. And we don't want you out there, you know, potentially exposing somebody. So we have a lot of extra consideration. That's the 30 hours of talking about every possible scenario that we can imagine that would, uh, you know, that would make it not perfect. We can't be perfect, but we'll try. Sure, and we appreciate that. We are talking with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green about the uh, hopefully soon arriving vaccine. And of course, this would be the first, the Pfizer uh, BioNTech would be the first of, I think, four that are in the pipeline right now. Um, Lieutenant Governor, we keep hearing about drills being run on Maui uh, with the hospitals and the the airports and all the logistics, etc. Are such drills being run on Oahu? How are we keeping all that stuff cold? And, you know, what kinds of what kinds of practice uh, and dry runs are happening uh, to get ready for the vaccine. There, are, Yeah, there are drills planned for all across the state. And remember, the first go around is going to be a little bit easier, a little more controlled because it will be at facilities mostly. When I say facilities, I mean like we're going to have hospital hubs mm-hmm. and healthcare hubs where they already have healthcare providers that can give the shot. People like me who I'd happily inject 600 people over the course of two days. Uh, and do it. In fact, I probably will volunteer. To, and I know I'm going to volunteer. I don't know how many I'm going to do, but a lot. And we have healthcare people that just can gown up and do it, right? Put our masks on and have gloves on and bam, vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate. So those, yes, those exercises will be happening. The neighbor island exercises are probably a little bit more important because they have less infrastructure in general. And therefore, heck, they just, uh, you know, they just need extra time to do these things mm-hmm. and you have to sometimes fly people in uh, we're going to have a lot of national guard support we have a huge uh, public health team we of course have the healthcare professionals and the volunteers are going to be great I, I created a while back a thing called the hawaii health corps right which was part of our that was our um, samoa experience and i've reactivated those guys just last night on the call i had a new 100 new volunteers Ooh. 100 mm. wow they, to help us out across the state which is just it's extremely generous of people in the and wonderful. So I hope that we can make this a good experience for people. I know it's very stressful and this is going to probably be the most um, talked about thing for 2021. If I had to venture a guess, I, I mean, God help us if there's a surprise bigger than COVID and vaccinating a whole country, Ooh. but I think that that's probably where we'll be. And I'll do all I can to make it uh, as, you know, as straightforward and transparent as possible, because I know that there are people in society who worry about vaccines in general. They worry about this vaccine, which was, um, you know, it was called, it was, they thought it was kitschy at the time when they called it Operation Warp Speed, which is, you know, kind of cool because I like Star Wars more than most people do, right? But <laughs> you go, you know, you go ahead and call something Operation Warp Speed and the next thing you know is people say, well, was it vetted properly? And uh, I think that it was, but it's not five years of research. It was seven months or eight months of research, right? And there were 30,000 people in some studies and 60,000 others, but it wasn't 200,000. So we have to be careful. I am going to take the vaccine, though. And and I'm saying that uh, just openly because I think that it will be safe.
Okay. The polls are showing a lot of people not wanting to take the vaccine. Polls like taken in Hawaii. Uh, any ideas why that would be? Well, there's always reluctance to take a vaccine, especially the flu vaccines. We often get 55%, one year 60%, one year 51%. You just don't know. Mm-hmm. I would tell you that I expect we'll get 70% of the population, which is a million people, by the time we're through 2021. I, I feel pretty confident about that. If we don't, that's people's choices. But if we don't get to um, somewhere between 60 and 70% of the population vaccinated, we will not get full herd immunity. Full herd immunity is what you want, because then everybody, even those who didn't take the vaccine, have some modicum of security. And that's really nice. You know, you're kind of piggybacking on other people's um, commitment. Because uh, vaccines are not without risk. They're very, very low risk. Low enough that I would have my daughter, who's the, the jewel of my life, or son, or wife, I'd recommend it. But, you know, it's still a question in people's minds, and I respect that. If they choose not to take the vaccine, it's absolutely their prerogative. So I will say this. In that case, they're probably going to need to be more diligent about wearing a mask for a longer time. And but that's a sacrifice, too. Just so people know what is in this vaccine, can you describe that for people? Because there's a lot of people who are sending out misinformation. Yeah, there's, there's a spike protein RNA in it. What does that mean? That means that we take an analysis of the chemi- of the chemicals, the proteins that are on the, the the virus itself, and they found these things that look like little sticks that stick off of it. And uh, DNA, which is what makes us us, uh, creates RNA, which is a protein that we give off, and that's what our those are like the signals in our body. And it goes on different cells, and it goes on viruses and all this stuff. And if something looks all wacko to the body, it attacks it, and that's what the immune response is. Now, you don't want to inject live uh, virus into people if you can help it because that could give them the illness, right? So you don't want to give people COVID that would potentially kill a a significant percentage of people because it has been 10 times more lethal than the flu. So what you do is you form a vaccine. And the vaccine, the scientists look at something that's on the surface that doesn't do you any harm, but that your body can actually recognize. So you don't even get the disease, but your body says, hey, that looks like something that we saw once. In other words, COVID in this case, that smells like COVID. Let's get the let's get activated and kill that thing. Mm-hmm. And so your body's uh, antibodies go after that. Your body forms antibodies with our immune system, and then it attacks it. And that's that's a typical RNA vaccine, and that's what this thing is. Now there are additional technologies, and I'm I am a doc, but I'm not a scientist any longer. And I can read these papers and and know what the public health implications are. But I would have to really refer to microbiology experts. If I was going to get much deeper than that, although I recall some of my virology from medical school, it's been a bit. <laughs> of, that's OK. That that works for me. That works for me. Just <laughs> that, explaining it yes. so that people don't think because that, that's been the thing. There's people wandering around going, it's like virus. They're putting it. And like, no, man, no, it's not even close to that. <laughs> it's the it's the proteins yeah. off of the off yeah, the surface, yeah, as you were yeah. saying. So, Lieutenant Governor, as a follow up to that, then. So, you know, some people are, you know, worried because we have received reports, um, at, you know, like out of Europe where they started vaccinating last week. And and, um, you know, some people have had some very strong reactions to like the vaccine. People, right. right a, yeah. And then other people, well, the two people had those very adverse yeah, reactions. But, uh, right. but other people are reporting that they've had strong reactions to the vaccine as well. But I've heard some doctors say you should expect that because that's what it takes for the body to uh, develop a response, to develop uh, the ability to fight the actual virus. Is that correct? Yes. So if your body is, is mounting some immune response, you will tend to. I uh, get these other chemicals, which are called pyrogens, which just means fever, mm-hmm. in your body. And 
some of that will, you know, create some aches. That's what myalgias mean, muscle aches, or arthralgias means joint aches. And that's what you hear people saying in the news reports. I'll try to speak uh, clearly just to people who don't maybe have medical training. But yes, when your body in those one to three days are experiencing a little aches and pains, you'll take Tylenol or ibuprofen and you'll you'll knock those symptoms down very significantly. And so that's a, uh, you know, that's an expectation we have. But it, it also does tell you that the vaccine is working on some level. Some people will not have much in the way of, of any feelings. Mostly in the first, uh, in the studies, people have had some ache at the site for the first shot. And then when you get that second shot, which is essentially a booster, uh, it, it sends your immune system into overdrive against these, you know, chemicals that were put into the vaccine. And that's when you get those symptoms. Mm. But that second shot to get up to the 95% threshold of immunity. Otherwise, the first shot only gave people about 52% immunity. And that's, that's just not going to cut it. So, uh, you know, these are, these are great questions that people are asking. And I'm so grateful that we're able to have these conversations because mm. every time we get another 50,000, another 50,000 people understanding that, and they maybe share it a little bit directly, like mm-hmm. maybe just one degree of separation, we get the, we get the actual information out. And yeah. Look, I'll say it again. I respect people if they choose to wait a little on the vaccine. Whatever they choose is okay with me because each and every increment of people that we make safer, I feel better about our chances to emerge from COVID without too many more casualties and to get our economy going so people can take care of what they need in life. Okay. All right. Uh, We're talking with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. As a follow-up to that, then, as this vaccine rolls out, it might be the middle of next year before the general populace. Is that right, about the middle of next year? And then what does that mean for then, when will life return to quote-unquote normal? Well, 2021, the first half of the year, will be the vaccine phase, it looks like to me. Mm -hmm. Although with each month, we'll get more protection and we'll be safer and we'll see less consequences, hopefully, from COVID. Uh, The first essentially 30 days to 40 days, the group that's called 1A will get vaccinated. That's healthcare workers, people in the hospital, our kupuna that are in nursing facilities that are very vulnerable. And we expect over 80,000 doses to be delivered. That's the first shot. Mm -hmm. And then another 80,000 doses, the second shot for that group. And that will secure our immunity for vulnerable peoples, the most vulnerable and the system that has to treat everybody else and vaccinate everybody else. So that's a huge benefit right there in, you know, say that the last 10 days of December and the, and the whole month of January. Meanwhile, in parallel, we'll go to 1B, which is, which is essential workers that have high exposure risk. And those folks uh, who are many will also, they're often the most front-facing people in society. For example, like, let me give you an example. Uh, a special ed worker, teacher, that works with nurses who are also taking care of children who have disabilities who are at high risk. That is an essential worker mm-hmm. by all the different classifications. Okay. And a subset of the whole DOE, that's a person that would be high on the list to get vaccinated. And they therefore won't get sick and they won't make that child who's got say cerebral palsy uh, uh, sick and the nurse won't get sick. Mm-hmm. So all of that cohort is now safer. And so then you don't worry if you're the parents of that child oh my goodness, my child is very vulnerable, could catch it from us, and we're not due to get vaccinated for three, four months more. So this is the, the reason the strategic plan is valuable, and I hope good. There's lots of ways to second-guess it. I'm not, I'm not saying you're second-guessing it, but a lot of people are going to do that. Uh, that's what people do now. Uh, mm-hmm. But it will increase safety month over month over month. Mm-hmm. Now, we will get to the main core of people that are very low risk, 
last. And that will also uh, be fine because a lot of those individuals are reluctant anyway. They just are not interested because the vaccine means so much less to them. A 34-year-old uh, person that is in perfect health, that is not in a, uh, a job that's deemed essential. In other words, they just not they don't have to be working in order to keep the food chain up or the, the roads fixed. They're very important people. Everyone is. But mm-hmm. they don't have to do something that everyone depends on every day. That person shouldn't worry about not being vaccinated yet because they probably, number one, would suffer very mild symptoms if they caught COVID. And two, they're not at risk of sending a whole big group of people into an infected state, like, say, a nurse practitioner at Queens might be if they don't get immune. Okay. One of the things also we want to touch on with people is just because the vaccines roll out doesn't mean that people can relax on their masks, right? And the social no, distancing and all that stuff. Yeah, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is if we suddenly change the mask mandate, uh, look, you can't tell the difference when you just look at someone whether they've had a vaccine or they haven't. Their ears don't suddenly change colors or they don't <laughs> you know, look different, right? So um, and I certainly hope that none of that kind of thing happens. It won't, of course. I'm just semi-teasing, right? So <laughs> you, you don't want people saying, I don't have to wear a mask now because I had a shot, even if they didn't. And we don't want to be judging people, although you will get a yellow card and you will be able to demonstrate you were vaccinated. But we also don't know all of the facts yet. We don't, for instance, we hear that it's 95% effective, but there's not a full guarantee that a person can't carry some small amount of virus, be immune, and then spread it to someone else. Mm. Seems unlikely, but we don't know that yet until we have a little bit of experience having had large parts of society vaccinated. So I think that the mask mandate will stay on for some time, certainly when people are in public and are unable to socially distance. And gradually that restriction will uh, diminish because we will get safer. So there's just so many things that are going on. That's why I expect the second half of 2021 to look real normal. The first half that will be where we fight through kind of the, the final real large challenges of COVID. And if people do get vaccinated at a high rate, and I, I know I read those stories, I've, I've seen any number between 50 and 70%. If we get to that point where we're vaccinating 70% of society, we're going to be in the clear. Mm -hmm. We'll be really good. Mm -hmm. Several of our listeners are posting on our Facebook questions about how long immunity lasts once you have that vaccine. Well, again, it's going to be studied very diligently. So they'll be doing massive societal studies on those who got vaccinated, which will be millions and millions of people. They'll be doing antibody studies to see who remains uh, immune Mm -hmm. and for how long. I have every expectation that this will be at least a year and then maybe, maybe if we find that the immunity wanes, people will get a booster, just like we get a flu shot. Uh, that could be the recommendation. But there are other shots that, for instance, the pneumonia vaccination is good for 10 years. It may be that good where you just have to get a coronavirus booster every 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to find those things out as we study it. But I want people to feel a sense of uh, safety that they will likely be good for at least a year when they get vaccinated. And we'll know what to recommend come the following January. We'll know whether or not everybody has to choose whether they get a booster. Now, mm-hmm. you'll still get some limited. And usually the infections that people get when they've had at least modest immunity are way less severe. Mm-hmm. And that's really good news because a less severe case of COVID, like the one I had, was not that bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was no joy for the two days I had symptoms, but I did not suffer terribly like so many in the hospital needing oxygen and so on. So... I'm hopeful that that's what happens, but the science will dictate, and uh, and I, I don't want to just guess at it. Yeah. Okay. 
Thank you. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, uh, just a quick follow-up, too. Uh, one of our listeners is asking about the fact that she has a medically fragile child. Uh, my understanding yeah. is uh, the FDA, the, the approval from the committee said for 16 and up, correct? Uh, yes, and there's even some question about age 17 and 18. Yeah. But medically fragile individuals, especially if they live in, a, um, in any kind of group housing, uh, they will fall into the category of, uh, very vulnerable and would get shots early is my expectation. Mm. And another uh, consideration is that if people do attach themselves to some of the hospitals because of, you know, frequent encounters and so on, there may be some capacity to help people who are additionally vulnerable early. That will tend to be, you know, the, the full next group, anybody who has some chronic disease mm. or chronic condition. But if you've been in the hospital a lot and your doctor makes an appeal we're going to we're still going to be assessing cases, you know, in a case by case basis also in addition to this. But for the mass vaccination up front, it's mostly healthcare workers. Now, it's, it's possible that if a parent is a full caregiver to their child and provides medical support, they can make a pretty good case that they're performing healthcare duties and maybe we can get them and their child vaccinated. So I don't want people to think they're going to be waiting forever if they have a vulnerable person in their life. We actually anticipate getting a lot more vaccine quickly than a lot of people had said originally. Mm -hmm. We think it's going to kind of come in fast and furious because uh, each of the companies wants to get get up and running. They don't want to be so, so-called so left at the altar. So as long as their data is good and it's safe, they're going to go into the market. And if they go into the market, we'll, we'll take their vaccine. If it's safe, we'll give it to people if they want it. Okay. okay. Sir, I wanted to um, pivot a little bit, and we're so excited about that vaccine coming. I didn't want to ignore the fact that in the meantime, um, this massive surge on the mainland, I think yesterday was yesterday or the day before, we, we surpassed 3,000 deaths in America. I just wonder if that surge on the mainland is making you as stressed as, I don't know, it makes me because I have to report <laughs> on it every day. Do, do you worry about that and what's being done to make sure that doesn't happen here? Well, I do worry about these things for sure. I, I can tell you that it's been extraordinary to see this 200% increase of COVID cases on the mainland occur. Mm-hmm. And we've decreased actually in our seven day average from before we opened the state. So the seven day average for COVID in Hawaii was 92, day, 92 cases per day, uh, the week before we started safe travels. And as of yesterday, the seven day average was 90. So down the positivity rate was 2.8% positivity in Hawaii before before we opened up with the safe travels pretest, which is working, and now it's at 1.7%. So our safe travels program, combined with extra screening at the airport, combined with taking people's temperatures, combined with a mask mandate, has kept us safe. Also, our hospital numbers have dropped by more than 50%. Before we started this thing, we were at 105 people in the hospital. As of yesterday, we were at 54. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, 52. So in the hospital. So our system has absolutely worked, but that doesn't mean it will work forever and that we can't make it better if if there's a spike. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to be thinking very hard about whatever the mayor might recommend uh, in the last two weeks of his, his duties before <laughs> we have a new mayor. Mm-hmm. It's um, probably something he should collaborate on with the new mayor who's going to have to inherit that responsibility and everything that comes with any decision that's going to last for, for two, four, eight weeks, who knows. Uh, they, sh- they should work together if they can. And it did work over Thanksgiving. I, I-, I appreciate uh, mayor, uh, the mayor of Honolulu and all the other mayors, how strong they were in their language to be safe over Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, we all joined together to say that gatherings were, would be a mistake. 
and we did not see a spike over Thanksgiving. We're the only place in the country that actually has not seen a spike in the hospital uh, numbers. We are down. It's the ultimate indicator uh, that we're doing well. Our case counts are lower. You know, it's yeah. just so we, we just- did succeed with our plan. Mm-hmm. So let's let's just look at that. And uh, I know that we could debate for hours, like, should we tweak this or that? Well, Governor uh, Ige has kind of taken the position we should make no changes whatsoever because right now it's working well. And we don't want to add a variable that we can't completely predict accurately uh, when things are going haywire in the mainland. Mm -hmm. Which is why, as a follow up, I wanted to ask you, then do you think it is a good idea for Honolulu to go to tier three reopening, which is larger gatherings by Christmas? Wouldn't that kind of be counter to what we're trying to accomplish here? The doctor in me thinks no, as of now, Mm -hmm. that we probably should not, uh, given given the fact that we're doing well and that it is going crazy on the mainland, so much so that California, which represents 38% of our market, can't even fly here. Uh, But it is true that community spread is down and the positivity rate is down. And we don't want to deprive people of some of the the critical experiences in life. So uh, let me reserve judgment a little bit longer. Uh, I I put safety first always, Mm -hmm. uh, but there is the caveat of survival. Uh, But having a larger Christmas gathering won't contribute to survival we'd probably be better off to make sure we can maintain low rates so that people can go back to work in the new year. And going back to work means taking care of our children and those we love. Uh, so I think we should be careful as of now. Okay. Lieutenant Governor, uh, just one real quick thing. It seems like we're getting a lot of gridlock uh, in Congress with regards to helping out the states, helping out just yeah. people in general. The stimulus and aid. Yeah, so yep. is the state setting something up to try to catch some of those people? I mean, because it seems like we're going to have a car crash very, very soon. Yeah, that's that, going to be catastrophic for yep. people. And not not health-wise, but, you know. Financially, economically. Yeah, economically. And, yeah, so in terms of aid and in terms of yeah. also a moratorium on yeah. uh, evictions. Do you see that coming? I do. I think that we'll probably have to extend the eviction moratorium, especially if there's no more resource or no, no significant resource. Mm-hmm. I do think there will be a CARES Act. Uh, extension that will pass. I'm optimistic over time. They may have to get past the new year. They might even have to get past the special elections in Georgia, which will determine who runs the Senate. Mm-hmm. But I do think it happened. In the meanwhile, yes, a lot of the resources from the CARES Fund did get banked into the uh, un- you know the unemployment yeah. fund. Mm-hmm. And that will be available to us. We will have to keep people going, but we will also have to... It's the, the, the number one way that we can help people get through with these incredible unemployment costs is to actually get them back employed. And my program put 29,000 people back to work. It's Thank just, goodness. it's purely mm-hmm. the effort of many people, great people in the Department of Health and General Horror and those guys, but the Safe Travels program made it possible to save the lives, the economic lives of a big part of our society. And that's also important because I'll tell you, we have 50,000 new individuals that went on to Medicaid uh, just because of COVID. We had huge increases in depression and potential self-harm and people that were living now in a housing insecure situation way back on rent. So we have to solve that uh, while getting through COVID. So Mm -hmm. there's three or four things happening. There's the vaccine program, there's safe travels, there's surviving just economically. And and then there's the just the future of getting our lives back, uh, which all of it comes back to one thing, which is if you can wear masks, help me help you get to the vaccine without a big spike. And if we all are wearing our masks best we can, look, I, 
even some dudes on social media, they saw me without a mask, well, a mask was on my chin the other day, and, and I thanked them for it. Now, those dudes, I think, hate me probably, but I also appreciate the love that they sent, which is a reminder to wear a mask because none of us can be perfect. And when that happens, it's good. When we see the right policy and we remind ourselves to wear masks and to get, you know, to, to get ourselves in a position to succeed, we're good. So that's one part of it. The vaccine's another, if people believe in it. And heck, I, I think that there's going to be a better Washington environment uh, after the inauguration of President Biden. But you can never tell. Washington's been pretty stinky for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it has. Indeed. All right. Okay. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, thank you so much for your time. As, as always, we really appreciate you uh, being here with us, talking story with us, kind of clarifying things uh, for people. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Hey, take it easy. Have a great, safe weekend.